Hello, my friends. Welcome to Let's Talk. My name is Shay Marville, and I think one of the most important skills in this world is being able to have a conversation with a friend or a foe. Let's Talk is a podcast about listening, growing, connecting, and hoping through compassion and talking. And I mean really talking about the good things and the hard things, and with remarkable people living in a remarkable time. So let's talk. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Let's Talk. On today's show, I have the tremendous privilege of having Wes Hall, an established innovator, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. He's the executive chairman and founder of Kingsdale Advisors. He's been repeatedly named as one of Canada's most powerful people by the Globe and Mail. He's just joined the Dragon's Den. He's a trailblazer and... um, I'm just so curious to hear his backstory. I hope you are too. Wes, welcome to Let's Talk. What's that painting or that image behind you? So that is a Ed Bertinsky. It's a it's one of from his new collection, Anthropocene. And that is actually a potash mine in Russia. And the uh what it looks like seashells, it's actually the uh the holes that the uh these huge trucks bore in the ground to drill and to get the potash out of the ground. So this is actually his way of showing our disruption to the planet. And it's, even though it's beautiful, it's actually have a kind of a morbid theme for our planet. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's quite devastating, but it is stunning to look at. Yeah. That's why he did it. I am, you know, as you know, I'm just over the moon about talking to you and I'm so excited about your new gig on Dragon's Den and and we can talk about that. But first of all, can you share with my listeners what your concept of being limitless is? You know, um, I've, I've been asked that question about, uh, okay, you know, why do you keep going, you know? And for those who follow me on social media, uh, King of Bay Street, for example, on uh, on Instagram and, uh, and Twitter, um, I posted a picture of me when I was, I think I was about two years old and I was wearing this really fancy outfit and I stand, you know, side like this, you know, like, you know, your viewers can't see me, but it was just, you know, you're standing there on the side and you look like really bossy, you know, that's what they say in Jamaica, really bossy. (laughs) Got a plaid pants on with bell bottoms. And, uh, and I got this shirt, this green shirt uh, tucked into my pants and, I just look like I'm going to take on the world at two years old. Okay. And then I transpose that picture next to a current picture of mine sitting with a plaid jacket on with purple pants on my red Ferrari today, you know, and, uh, and, and that is the definition of limitless, right? Because at two years old, I was like, I could do anything. And my dress, my dress and grooming kind of shows that, I wasn't just little, some little boy in St. Thomas, Jamaica that was running around barefoot. I was like, I was going places, but I didn't know how far I was going to go. Right. No. And, you know, so to me, you know, people say to me, why, when are you going to stop? And I go, I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to stop because I didn't know this was possible. And as a result of that, I don't know what next uh, I can achieve. That's even more than what I've achieved so far. So I'll just keep going until somebody tap me on the shoulders and say Enough is enough. You can stop now. But, but you're not really driven by material. You're driven by 
desire to compete, to create, to contribute? Like, what do you, what do you think drives you? My grandmother that died. Uh, so this amazing woman, Julia Vassell, mm. I lived through her. And uh, I can show you the picture. Again, your viewers want to see this, right? Oh, they will. They will. We'll, they we'll will. Okay. Yes. So, so this is the picture. This is where I grew up. This was when I was two years old. I talk about this was the neighborhood I was in. This is my grandmother and I. This is a tin shack. Tin shack in Jamaica. Literally, I keep it here with me to kind of uh, let people know, to let me know that's where I came from. And I keep it to honor her because I made a commitment to her. There was a picture when I was uh, 22 years old of me sitting on a bed with her in that tin shack. Because that's me on the outside. Mm. That's 22. And then there's the next picture of me sitting with her on the bed and I was hugging her. She was in her 80s. Yes. And I said to her, I remember it like it was yesterday, I'm going to get you out of this place. And I never had the opportunity to do it. And she mm -hmm. died in that tin shack. She oh. died in poverty. She fell, she hit her head, she never recovered, and she died at 97 years old. Mm. It was the, the month after I got my first big break on Bay Street. I was 22 years there, okay? And six years later, I got my first big break to get her out of that place and she died a month later. Oh, and man. so nobody remembered her but me, but I want everyone to remember her because of what I do today. Yes. Right? Was, was she, she just believed so deeply in you. And you had 13, no, 12 siblings, correct? I have 14 brothers and sisters. 14? Yeah. And you, were, and you all grew up together, like living nope, in that area? Up in all kinds of different places. Okay. And, uh, and she raised a lot of us and, yeah. and, and, and my cousins in that tin shack. And uh, my father, my mom left us, my father left, and she just took us in and took mm -hmm. me in. And she was 60 years old when she took me in, 60. She spent her entire life raising kids, mm -hmm. her kids, grandkids, great grandkids and she died in poverty on her own with no one looking after her when she fell and hit her head they found her in that state okay mm. so so when i do these things that i do literally yes it's nice to have money mm -hmm. but that's secondary yeah. it's just so that i can let people know i can i can let people know what she's done right because they've seen what i've accomplished and I've accomplished this because of her. So every time they say Wes Hall, they also say Julia Vassal. And they will always remember Julia Vassal because of what I've accomplished. Oh, Julia Vassal. That's her. Champion, advocate. And that's why, you know, my grandmother was a strong black woman. Mm. Okay, strong. Could you imagine raising these kids? Some of these, my brothers were unruly. <laughs> right? They were unruly. And she was in rural St. Thomas, Jamaica. Yes. And she had to go and work on the sugarcane plantation, depending on the season. She had to work on the banana plantation and the coconut plantation. But think about what it's like to work in, in a coconut. Uh, let's sugarcane, for example. Yes. The sugarcane has the stalks, right? You see those little things that go up, yep. right? They're very sharp. Okay, so what they do is they burn the sugar field, the field. And I remember as a kid, our neighborhood would be covered in soot from this burning, right? And then it's now black. 
And she would have to go in there and she would grab the top of the, uh, of the, 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 the sugar cane with a machete in her right hand, bent over for 10 hours a day, chopping the bottom. Then she would th throw it up in the air, grab the bottom that she just chopped, chop the top, throw it in a pile, and she would be paid based on how many of those she chopped per day. Right? Unbelievable. She rests only to sip water, to take a little bit of food, and then she's back at it again. And when she's done, and keep in mind, when she's done, she's covered black, mm -hmm. face black, clothes black, hands black. She has to go to the river, bathe, and then come home to make dinner for us. After that, wow. I'm telling you, like when people tell me that I work hard, I work hard. Yeah. I don't work hard. She worked hard. I work with my brain. I can think. Yes. And my brain gets exhausted, but my body doesn't because I'm using my brain to, to work. She was working like 10, 15 hour days bent over in the hot sun in Jamaica. And when she's finished working and she gets her paycheck, it's not even enough for her to put some extra money in the bank. It's just enough to feed us and to carry us until the next paycheck. Right. So, you know, you came to Canada at 16 yep. and you're living with your dad. Understand he had two jobs, but at a very young age, like I think you were in grade 13 when you decided you didn't want to stay with him anymore and you wanted to start making your own life. Is that do you think that was you'd always known this part of you that you're a lone ranger, that you wanted to go out and build and create? Well, you know, so I left my grandmother's house. My, my mom came and got me when I was 11 years old. Oh. And she brought me into the city to live with her. I didn't know why. Mm. My mom was incredibly abusive, like really, really, really abusive. Like, you know, I went to the hospital. I got, uh, I got every day, I got a beating, like a beating with a broomstick, with a mop, with anything that she could find her hands on. And at 13 years old, when I stopped crying from all that beating, she just threw me out of the house and said, you're a man now, go on your own. So at 13, I was on my own in Jamaica. 13 to 16, I was just hustling to make a living. I was doing everything to make a living. And I was going to school at the same time. I didn't know that. Yes. So, so I left. So at 16, I came to Canada. My dad, I, I connected with my dad and my dad would go, you can come live with me. I came to live with my dad at 16, but I never really fit in. You know, I never really felt that I, I didn't fit in. Not that he, he treated me really, really well. I went to school. I had, you know, met my siblings for the first time, but I didn't really fit in. And as soon as I turned 18, literally as soon as I turned 18, I moved out. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I finished high school and then I just started to hustle on my own because I did that between 13 to 16 in Jamaica. Mm. Right. And then when I came here, I'm in the stable environment where Dinner time's a certain time, mm -hmm. you know, bedtime's a certain time. You got to go to school at a certain time. You got to get home at a certain time. All these rules were things I really didn't know. Plus, I didn't know my dad. Yes, right? yes. I kind of met him. I met him before when I was a kid in Jamaica, but I didn't really know him. I saw him and people say, that's your dad. But when I came here at 16 years old, after spending essentially 13 to 18 all on my own, calling my own shots, and now somebody's telling me exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it. I just felt that was difficult for me. And I wanted to kind of build my own life. So as soon as I became 
of age uh, where I can legally do that. I, yes. I just walked out and, and I started doing that. And you were like willing to do whatever you could do, like whether it was looking after chickens or doing security uh, to make a living. But at that point, you didn't have a vision, right, no. of, of what you could be or what you even wanted to be. Yeah. How did that evolve? Like, how did that how did you become the founder and CEO of, of Kingsdale? Kingsdale? Well, here's here's the deal. I was. Um, you know, at that stage, when I was looking for all those jobs you mentioned, catching chickens. Could you imagine? By the way, catching chickens is not as easy as you think it is, right? Because <laughs> they, you know, they, you know, and you, you're catching them to get them slaughtered. That's why you're catching them. You're not catching them to get them fed, right? So I was catching them to get them slaughtered, and they knew what I was doing. So as a result of that, you know, they would just scratch me. Like I was going to get scratched all over the place, right? And then I go, this is not for me. And then I looked for another job and, but guess what? I was always looking for the job in the general labor section of the newspaper. Right. Because I wasn't qualified to do anything else. I just finished high school. I, you know, I, you know, wanted to go to university, but because my dad and I were estranged, uh, I, I didn't get OSIP approval, OSAP mm -hmm. approval rather. So as a result of that, I decided I'm going to just work, save enough money and I'm going to send myself through university when I have enough money. So I was getting all kinds of odd jobs, but because I was just finished high school, I didn't have any kind of skills. So I was looking in the general laborer section and those were general laborers jobs, yes. you know, cleaning offices, washing dishes, all those things. Those were the jobs that I had until I realized that I can't do that forever. Mm. I cannot look in that section of the newspaper for jobs forever. Yes. I, because those jobs are limited, potentials are limited, the pay is limited. Where do I want to go? And I didn't really know. I fell into Bay Street. You know, a buddy of mine applied for a job at a law firm in the mailroom, and he didn't get the job because he, 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 got, he got another job. And they called him and, offered, and, and he said, no, but I have a buddy of mine. And I was working as a security guard at the time. And, uh, and, 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 and here he is. And by the way, you know, here's my job as a security guard. Back in the day, picture this Regent Park back in the day. Yeah. Okay. I, one of the buildings I had to check on was in the middle of Regent Park. And I would have to go there when there's a burglar alarm in the middle of the night. And I would be going to this building at three o'clock in the morning because there's a burglar alarm. Mm. And the only thing that I have as a weapon is a flashlight, a metal flashlight. And I would have to go into all into the factory. Right. It was on River and Parliament was where this building is, yeah. where the Salvation Army building is, one of those yes. buildings. OK. And by the way, I'm one of the owners of that building today. Right. So it's just kind, wow. of, kind of ironic, right? just very <laughs> ironic. But I used to go in and, and, and the way that the security is set up is that you have to check, do checkpoints. And then there's a there's a key that you have to put in. So everybody knows that you check these different locations. You can't just look around and go, looks good to me. You have to actually go in the building, walk the building, and do a key at each checkpoint. Wow. Okay? So here we are. That's what I was doing at the time. And my buddy said, there's this job in the mailroom of a law firm. Do you want it? Again, general laborer job. Okay? Just pushing the mail cart and delivering mail. I said, I'll take it. It's better than what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I talked to the HR manager, and I was hired over the phone. They hired me. Because you didn't have, you didn't need any skills back then to sure. push a mail cart. You're, you have a pulse, 
yes, you hired. Okay, that was pretty much the interview, right? Mm -hmm. I went in, when I went for the job, when I went to, and they said, come in on Monday to fill out the application for the job. And I went in with my security guard uniform. Commerce Court West, 13th floor was this law firm, okay? Never been in an elevator before. I went on the elevator to the 13th floor and I walked out into the reception of this law firm that has art like I have in the back of my wall here. Beautiful art. And I'm like, wow. And I see all these people with business suits on, Mm. walking around. And then the HR manager came, gave me the application. Here you go. You start uh, next week. I showed up next week. I went to Goodwill, first of all, because there's all these people in suits. And I bought a suit at Goodwill. Okay. And I showed up in a suit. And all these guys in the mailroom started laughing at me in a suit. They're like, dude, what are you wearing a suit for? Right? People are going to think you're a lawyer. I'm like, not a bad thing for them to think, is it now? Okay. So I was pushing my mail cart in a suit. And as I was going around, I saw all these lawyers doing conference calls, feet on desk, having important conversations with clients and stuff. And I go, I want to be one of those guys. That was it. That changes everything to me when I saw that. So seeing what could be, and you envisioned yourself, but you have... um, you, you're kind of known for having a very charismatic personality. W- were you talking to people and starting to make friends or were you like quietly going, just no, observing? No. Listen, so as I was pushing the mail cart, I was the friendliest mail guy because I was getting information, okay? Yeah. So I, all the secretaries, because at the time they called, they said secretary, they didn't say assistant, yes. sec- yes. they all knew me. Okay, because the deal was you drop, you don't give the mail to the lawyers, you give it to their secretaries, right? Right. So as I was going through the mail cart, I would have conversations. And then because I was wearing a suit, sometimes I don't have the mail cart and I would see people in the hallway, the lawyers, and they start just having conversation with me. They thought I was either a summer student or an article in student or a junior lawyer. So they would start having conversation with me. And then they start to use in terms like M&A deal. I'm working on this M&A deal and I'm doing a closing next week and all that. And I start to pick up that language that they're using, picked it up. And then I go, I want to, then I, through talking to those people, they said, hey, by the way, the firm can pay for your education to take a law clerk's course and different things like that if you want to do that. And I said, done, put my hand up. I took it. Okay. And then I got my a break. Canvas Global said, I want to hire you as a law clerk. I knew nothing about the job. I've never done it before. I was in a mailroom. And then they interviewed me, the general counsel interviewed me and I'm in front of this guy. And I'm the kind of person, Shay, if you, if I, if I go in front of you and I want to close something, I'm going to close. I'm going to close. Even because I can talk the talk, walk the walk and all this kind of stuff. I'm going to close. I just need an opportunity to be in front of you, to pitch you. And when I'm done, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to get that deal, right? But I had no confidence. I had no you know, business being in front of this guy. But I pitched them. I started to use the term that these guys were using, M&A deals and all this kind of language that he understood. The man, a few weeks later, offered me the job. And that changed my life. Changed your life. But Wes, like, one of the... I, I'm curious about you know, the abuse you experienced as an adolescent, the love that you experienced in that foundational part from your your grandmother, 
And then being on Bay Street, knowing that you've got to fight, like what, and, and having this kind of bravado, this, this I'm, gonna, I'm going to study what's happening around me and then I'm going to push. Like, how do you know to do that? It, it, I think it's, we all have this instinct within us, but most of us don't use it because we get intimidated, mm-hmm. right? See, all those people that I saw in offices, like it was a time, again, I was, you know, looking around and for example, the guys in the corner office on each floor, he's the most important person on that floor. Okay. You know that. Yeah. If he's got five offices, that means he's a senior partner. If he's got four, I mean, if he's got five windows, this is how it used to be, literally. If he has five windows, it means he's a senior partner. If he's got four windows, that means the partner below that, three windows, a partner below the four window guy. And if you have two, you're an associate. Okay. So I learned that. So I learned who the guys got five, four, two, and so on. And if you share an office with someone, you're an article and student. Yes. Okay. So as I was going around and kind of surveying the people, I kind of know who's who and how to interact with them when I see them in the hallway or in different places, right? Who to be very, very formal to, mm-hmm. who that I can be a little bit informal to, who I can actually talk to and engage in to help me when I need some help in the future, mm-hmm. right? And I know that if I treat those people a certain way, I'm going to get a certain response out of them. But none of those people were black. Right. None of them were black. So I couldn't sit there and go, I got to look at an example of a black person. I want to be like that person. None of them were black. Mm-hmm. Right. So sometimes we go, we want a role model, but we look for somebody that looks like us. And then if we can't find that person that looks like us, then we just get disappointed. Mm-hmm. We don't realize that we can find all kinds of other people that don't look like us to be role models. Sure. It's up to us and our attitude that determines whether or not that person want to help us or hinder us, mm-hmm. right? So I was that person who just went, you know, I'm going to pick people's brain. I'm going to take their knowledge and I'm going to use it to my advantage mm-hmm. because, because that's how you get, away, get along in life. And the other thing that people don't appreciate is the fact that with Canada, for example, it's a network country. Yes. It's all about your network, okay? And so who true. has the best network in this country? Who? Old white men, <laughs> right? Because they, they're at the top of Bay Street, they're at the top of everywhere, yeah. right? So if I want to be in that network, I have to figure out how to get in to that network. Mm-hmm. And then once I get into that network, you can use that network to your advantage, to advance yourself or to get some good done. Did, did you find that in the early years, race in a negative way played a part for you or were you, was did you not notice it or did it not prevent anything from happening for you? You know, I've, I've always say this, that uh, I didn't know that I was black until well into my career on Bay Street. Well into it, namely because I never used it as something to, as a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And when I actually realized, because I remember it was uh, when I realized for the first time, like, you know, I'm going along when I started my firm, for example, you know, like I'm a young black man. I didn't really get it. Like, I'm like, okay, you're a young black man. I was 34, you're on Bay Street. You're gonna set up this firm that's gonna go into all these boardrooms in corporate Canada. 
to give them advice on how to deal with hostile takeover bids and shareholder activism. And you're gonna, and these boardrooms are at the time, they were old white men mm-hmm. in the boardroom and you're a young black guy walking in there to give them advice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't know that was an obstacle. I didn't know that. You know, so when I went to all the banks to get financing to set up that company, they all said no, but I didn't know why they were saying no. Uh, I didn't know they were saying no because they were thinking about the obstacles mm -hmm. that I was going to face going into those boardrooms. I just thought that they were just saying no because they didn't recognize a good business plan when they saw one, Mm -hmm. right? But their job was to assess risk. And when they look at my business plan, they go, it's a risky business plan because nobody's going to let you in the boardroom to give you that advice as a young black man. Right. Why did you decide on that portion of the finance business, advising uh, t- uh, and preventing takeovers, hostile takeovers? Well, it didn't. It wasn't developed. Uh, you know, I went to this firm at, uh, called Georgeson's, a U.S.-based firm, and they had a Canadian op- operation. And I remember watching the street and seeing how people were behaving, how companies were behaving, how investors were behaving, and I go, I think we have something here that's going to happen. That's going to blow this whole thing up. And I went to the management team at the time and I pitched them on this thing to say, let's transform our business to take advantage of this is that's going to come in the future. Mm-hmm. And they told me no. And I was so convinced. I'm, I said, I'm going to go start my own company to do this. I literally did. And I went around to my colleague. I was a vice president. I went around to my colleagues, told a couple of people confidentially, thought they were going to come with me. They said, absolutely not. No way. I was employee number one. Nobody came with me. None. <laughs> right? Until I went out and I started a firm and I started to go after what I think the market needed. And even though I didn't get the loan, I actually was, uh, was able to go back into uh, one of the banks. And I saw a black man behind the desk and that's why representation matters. And I went to him hmm. after his bank turned me down and I pitched him on my business plan. And he said, I like it. And he went and he bored uh, Lancelot Day. He's still at CIVC right now. Okay, it's still <laughs> at CIVC. I, I, and I, I, I bored $100,000 against my house. And Lance would remind you today that Wes, you never used a penny of that 100,000 because your business got successful right off the get-go, right? Wow. And, you know, so, so that, to me, I had a conviction, you know, I felt, mm-hmm. I felt the need to do this. And I also mm-hmm. was willing to suffer the consequences of failing, right? A lot of people, yes. you know, they have like the side hustle, but they keep their day job. And the right. side hustle if you just focus time on it and energy on it and put all your attention on it and get rid of the safety net, your, mm-hmm. your day job, that yeah. side hustle may be amazing, right? But you can't have a safety net while you're trying to be an entrepreneur at the same time. It just doesn't work. Doesn't work. No. It never works. But was your partner, your wife, uh, critical to, to, to your growth? Yeah, 100%. Because she was with you before before yeah. you know when you're in the mail room right so we're celebrating and in june and next month we're celebrating 29 years of marriage okay so she congratulations she's, she's seen it all she's seen it all from this <laughs> she was making more money than me because she was a secretary at the law firm i was working in the mail room she was a secretary there so she was making more money than me and uh and and, and at the time you know secretaries don't date guys in the mail room 
You yeah. know, like that's yeah. like that's like you know, you don't you don't have to date the guy in the mirror. You can talk to him, but you don't date the mailroom guy. You know, and uh, so so we've been together for a long time, and she's seen it. But if you don't have that support back home, it's impossible to be successful. Impossible, impossible. Mm-hmm. If um, you know, I always say to these guys, you know, these guys who, you know, they have success. They 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 make a decision as a family. Honey, you're gonna stay home, and I'm gonna work. That's the decision my wife and I made, right? She said, Wes, you go focus on your career and I'm gonna look after the kids. We made a deal, right? Sometimes, unfortunately, some of us guys forget about that deal. And when we hit the, uh, the jock- jackpot, success comes, we kind of look at the person who is doing their part of the deal and go, well, your part is not as important as my part. So as a result of that, you know, you're not entitled to what, I'm, what I have. You're entitled to all of it, okay? Yeah, because sure. yeah. if it wasn't that person working hard to keep things buttoned down at home, you wouldn't be focused enough to do what you're doing to be successful, right? How does it translate for you with your children? Uh, you know, this you know managing this level of of success and focus, where you came from, and now you how many, you have three sons. Five kids, uh, Five kids, three boys and two girls. Right. How do you even possibly in this day and age yeah. share with them what you've experienced, that trajectory, and then and then help them move into, you know, whoever they are? Yeah, yeah. So, so two of my boys are working for uh, two of my companies separately. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and one of them is treated like a regular employee. In fact... <laughs> A number of people don't even know that he's actually the, uh, the owner's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is working in my holding company directly with me and my, my small team. And, uh, but they've learned not to take life for granted, mm-hmm. right? You know, when there were kids growing up, for example, even till today, when we buy something, we buy one and they share it, right? Mm-hmm. So the boys were going to university together. One was in Waterloo, one was in Laurier. And uh, we got an apartment for them, but we got them one vehicle, mm-hmm. right? And we got them, okay, you guys got to figure out how to share this vehicle. Yeah. And you guys got to figure out how to clean the apartment. You got to put a schedule together. You guys got to put a schedule together in terms of who's going to do what, who's going to shop and all this kind of stuff, right? We're not going to do all those things for you. In addition to that, when they come home, they also have their same obligation as well, right? My right. 10-year-old, his job is to make his bed, even though we have housekeepers and stuff, but his job is to make his bed every day. Uh, when he gets up, right? And he's got, they got chores that they have to do. They have things they got to do. Now they could never understand what I, what I went through. Of course. They could never understand it, but they don't need to understand it. That's the reason I'm working this hard because it wasn't fun when I was going through it. It wasn't fun for my grandmother when I was going through it, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't want them to experience that, but I also don't want them to take success for granted. And I want them to use their success to help other young people that's not as successful as uh, their parents are, right? And is that your commitment now? Your commitment is to to pass on your knowledge, not just to your own children, but to underprivileged young people and also with underprivileged communities, right? Through Dragon's Den, as well as all that you're doing. Well, you know, I I am pretty fortunate and, um, and sometimes, you know, when you're in a, in, a, in a fortunate position, you see things that are just not right. 
right? You hear things that are just not right, right? If you're around rich people all the time, right? You hear rich people saying not so nice things about poor people, mm -hmm. right? Because they go, it's nice to be rich and it's horrible to be poor. So they say not so nice things in that environment because they're among people that they're comfortable with, right? right? So there's times when you're in that environment and you kind of hear things and you go, well, I was from that. That mm -hmm. was me, you're talking about me. Right. And, and you would have withheld that from me. And if you if it's because of people like you, why there's so many people that was like I was. So how can I now, instead of chastising you and yelling and screaming at you for your insensitive behavior, how can I get you as an ally to help me to change the lives of those people that you're talking so bad about? Right. Yes. And, and then once you start to come up with reasoning and arguments, as to why they should think differently, that's how you change the world. You don't change the world by shaming people, no. right? I could be shaming those people and saying, you're horrible, I can't believe you're talking all these bad things. And then guess what? They hate poor people even more. Yeah. But if I can say, you know what? Here's where I was raised. And I can show them that picture of me and my grandmother. Yeah. That's what happened in my office. Mm -hmm. And they can say, because of the generosity of a few people like you mm -hmm. that saw this black kid and gave him an opportunity, I'm here today. And if you can do the same, you're going to feel better about yourself in the future. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then their mindsets start to change. So our job is not to shame people, but it's to change their attitude and their mindset. And we get a lot more done when we do that. And that's why I started Black North. And that's why I'm doing the thing that we're doing. Some of these companies, they've had really bad history of dealing with black people. Mm -hmm. Right. Look at all the companies that signed a pledge. A lot of the companies have no black people in their boardrooms, no black people in their C-suite, but what have they done by signing the pledge? They said, we're gonna change that. Yes. yes. I'm not gonna chastise them for that. I'm gonna chastise them if they don't change it. Right. But once they said, we're gonna change it, I am giving them the benefit of the doubt and I'm gonna work very hard with them to make that change. And when they say, we're gonna give 3% of our corporate donation to the black community, I go, thank you very much, because it's going to make changes. It's going to uh, turn poor people into middle class people, or it's going to make their lives even a little bit easier. Right. Sure. And, and, and so also expand the pool and expand the pool of intelligence pool. of what we can all they indicated about. these companies that signed the plate says 5% of our student population will be from the black community. Wow. There are some of those companies that had zero blacks from that they hire students zero. And now they give us a guarantee 5%. Could you imagine the lives that that will change when a black kid graduates university and he knows that all these companies want to hire me now and before they weren't hiring him or her and then they have to get like a menial job below what they went to school for because they wouldn't get access to corporate Canada. And now corporate Canada signed a commitment to say, we're going to do these things. So for me, my job is here to make sure that they fulfill that commitment, right? Life altering. Life altering. Life altering for the black community. And I wish that was there for me. And I didn't have to work that hard to get to the top of Bay Street. So now I'm up there at the top, you can be comfortable and you can just uh, fold your arms and go, man, is it nice to be at the top? Or you can just go, I'm gonna make the way a little bit easier for those coming behind me. And, and you can only do that when you're at the top. Yes. Right. And so I'm at the top now and I'm looking back and I go, OK, let's pave the way. And I'm doing it while I'm relatively young. Yeah. Well, Wes, I 
I, I mean, I'm even more inspired now after <laughs> talking to you. I, I think you're at the top, but I think there's way, way more for you to do. And that will come from all that you're doing and what you're seeing and what you're going to grow next. I'm so grateful. Well, I'm so glad to, uh, to be on, on the show and uh, uh, mm-hmm. I encourage your viewers to support uh, Dragon's Den, support me by watching yes. Dragon's Den, okay? Yeah. Because listen, I don't want, uh, and, and follow me also on uh, social media, like I said, King of Bay Street, King <laughs> of Bay Street, right? We'll because share. I put out some nuggets to people, some encouragement for people can, can hear. I don't just put out you know, things, to, I just put out things that can change people's lives. Yes. But I'm the first black dragon, okay? The first black dragon, we cannot have the show canceled, you know, when they put their first black dragon on. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Okay. We'll do what we can. We'll do what we can. Uh, thank you so much. I want to wish you continued success and Thanks, health babe. for your family and for your businesses. And we, I just think also you kind of pushing and changing what it is to be Canadian. And I'm not talking about race. Not I'm race. Talking, talking about you know, the confidence factor, the, the, you know, the bravado and the charisma, you know, sometimes Canadian culture is a bit humble and polite. And so you can be polite and exciting at the same time. So thank you. Thank you for joining the conversation. We are growing an amazing community here at Let's Talk. Please share the show, make sure you're subscribing and keep talking. And you can always reach out to me at CoachShayMarville.com or on Instagram at Shaymarville. Let's talk. Let's keep talking.